0: And one of the ways God's blessed this world through Abraham is that Abraham is the father of the Jewish nation. And through the Jewish nation, we have not only the word of God, but the Messiah Jesus, who's blessed the world many times over. And so what's crazy about it, it's his second time that he's done this. He did this also in chapter 12, when he fled to Egypt also Because of fear, there's a pattern here in Abram's life and many saints throughout history. The fear of the future can push us away from the will of God and His vision for our lives. Abounding in faith is the broadcast ministry of Emmanuel Bible Church of Howell, New Jersey. if you are blessed by this message, please subscribe to our podcast or YouTube channel. You can also download our app by searching for IBCNJ in the Google Play Store or the Apple Store. For more information, please visit us at www.ibcnj.org. Our speaker today is Senior Pastor Joe Swazo. Uh, if you have your Bibles with you or you want to go to the front pew, We're on page 14 in the front pew Bible, in chapter 20 of Genesis, and truly one of the most perplexing, challenging portions of Scripture in all the Bible, where we see Abram make a great tragedy of a decision, tragic decision, based on fear, but the good news. That uh, we're going to find application for our hearts is, despite our fears, which we all struggle with, uh, God is greater. God is greater. Chapter 20 of Genesis, the context is Sodom and Gomorrah has just been destroyed uh, by sulfur. And uh, God had judged those cities. Abraham was in that place looking over the cities And it says from there, that's from the place that that he was just at, Abraham journeyed towards the territory of the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur and journeyed in Gerar. And Abraham said of of Sarah, his wife, she is my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, behold, You're a dead man because of the woman whom you've taken, for she is a man's wife. Now Abimelech had not approached her, so he said, Lord, will you kill an innocent people? Did he not himself say to me, she is my sister? And she herself said, he is my brother. In the integrity of my heart and the innocence of my hands, I've done this. Then God said to him in the dream, yes, I know that you've done this in the integrity of your heart. And it was I who kept you from singing against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Now then, return the man's wife, for he is a prophet, so that he will pray for you and you shall live. But if you do not return her, know that you shall surely die, you and all who are yours. Father, we just ask as we just look at this chapter of Scripture, we'd find uh, application for our hearts and you'd. Lift us up by faith past our fears, Lord, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. may be seated. You know, perhaps one of the greatest enemies of our soul is fear, is fear. Psychologists know that. They've done all kinds of tests physiologically, and they know that fear, uh, regardless of the basis of it, uh, produces all kinds of chemical changes. Some of those are not all that bad. For example, uh, it's a God-given emotion that helps us when we're in some kind of peril or danger. Um, for example, if there's a fire in a building, fear motivates me to run. Or perhaps if I'm struggling with a health problem, uh, maybe the fear will will cause me to go to a doctor and and perhaps find a remedy for that problem. But that's not the fear I'm talking about this morning. The fear or the enemy of the soul is the kind that believes there are possible circumstances that lie ahead that may br- bring me harm, mostly imagined. I-, I was thinking about this, and there's this uh, kind of amusing story when I was about 10, uh, three doors down from our house, there's this yard, and there's this uh, German shepherd, huge. You know, they were popular in the 60s and 70s, these German shepherds, and he was just barking, and we dare not cut through that family's yard with that German shepherd tied up to a chain, and uh, so we were out playing my friends and i i don't remember what we were playing tag or whatever chasing each other down and i uh, made the big mistake of saying well the dog must be inside the house so i cut through the yard uh, trying to you know do whatever i was doing with my friends and i'm ru- running through the middle of the yard and sure enough that german shepherd jumped out from the bushes and jumped right up on me, right on my shoulders. And I said, my life flashed before my eyes. And all of a sudden, it's tag started wagging, started licking me on the face. Finally, I have a friend. So, fear, so many times in our hearts and minds, can be imagined, isn't it? Our text this morning in Genesis 20 is a good example of this. We don't know the exact circumstances Abram believed were a threat to him, but our text tells us that he not only moved all his possessions and family to a place called Gerar, a place that he thought would provide safety, but then in fear we see how he takes his cherished wife who was destined to be the mother of this promised son that God was going to give Abraham, and he's willing to give her away to the local king. Perhaps after seeing Sodom and Gomorrah annihilated in the previous chapter, not knowing what happened to his nephew Lot, Abraham was maybe fed up with God's promises. Remember, it was 25 years prior to this chapter that God had told Abraham, I want to make you a great nation. I want to use you to bless all the families of the earth. And we've talked about this each week. And one of the ways God's blessed this world through Abraham is that Abraham is the father of the Jewish nation. And through the Jewish nation, we have not only the word of God, but the Messiah Jesus, who's blessed the world many times over. And so what's crazy about it, it's his second time that he's done this. He did this also in chapter 12 when he fled to Egypt also because of fear. There's a pattern here in Abram's life and many saints throughout history. The fear of the future can push us away from the will of God and his vision for our lives. I just have to repeat that. The fear of the future, which we all struggle with, can push us away from the will of God and his vision for our lives. But God is patient with us in our fears and bad decision-making. Isn't that the good news? And so we see in Genesis 20, not only how God intervenes and rescues Abraham and Sarah from a terrible situation that Abraham himself put them in, But finally, in the next chapter, which we're going to look at shortly in chapter 21, uh, God finally gives him the promised son, the family that he had given to him 25 years prior. So when we look at the life of Abraham, we see a man is called by God. Genesis 12, a a vision to be a man of faith, character, influence in the world. And we see from chapters 12 all the way through to Isaac's birth, some incredible challenges. And I can't help but draw a line or a parallel with our own lives, isn't it? We we turn our lives over to God. We believe in him. But it's not an easy journey, is it? Well, thank you. (laughs) Now, if we were a a true Baptist church, it would be an amen. Yeah. Amen. Life is difficult and has a way of throwing curveballs and unforeseen circumstances at us. And at that point of challenge, we choose. We choose in terms of our attitudes of our heart and we choose uh, how we're going to proceed. And we can act out of a place of fear or faith. Fear is Uh, I'm looking at these circumstances. They can carry me into a a place of peril and danger. And as a result of that emotion of fear, I'm going to just yield to that. That's fear. Or faith. Faith says, you know, God's promised something better for me. I don't know where this circumstance is going to take me. But by faith, God says, I can take all things and work them out together for the good. By faith, he tells me, I am your refuge and your shelter and your ever-present help. And, and when I take on the Lord by faith, guess what happens? I'm lifted above my fears. And when I'm lifted above my fears, like an eagle on the wings of an eagle, that's what scripture says, those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. They'll mount up like the wings of an eagle, I'm able to see things with a different vantage point. Do we need that in today's world? So I believe God's word parades before us, Abraham, and many saints of the Bible, so that we can learn and realize that our lives are often messy. True? Amen. (laughs) Uh, You know, it's interesting. There's a little duck on my pulpit and you know the duck story, right? So every one of us has different phobias and fears, and several years ago, I used this illustration the Lord gave to me that I struggle with perfectionism, and actually, it's a very common trait with first sons who've grown up in alcoholic families, okay? So you want to bring your world into order, and one of the Uh, one of the ways you do that is through perfectionism. But there's a problem with setting all your ducks up in a row. As soon as you set them up in a row, you know, God is very good at messing up my ducks. Because if I could do it, I would stop depending on him. So over the years, some people gave me all these ducks. And so the person, one person says, what happened to all your ducks? They were in my office. I used to give them to the children. Because there's ducks with, you know, there's a preacher duck with a Bible, there was a fireman duck, there's a doctor duck, Dr. Bhaskar, there's a doctor duck. And there are all kinds of ducks in this, uh, but I give them to the kids and they just use it. And then I ran out of ducks. So now some secret person (laughs) (laughs) is putting ducks everywhere, these little tiny ones. And they're everywhere in my office, every little, but it's a good reminder I'm not in control. And if I can just surrender at that point of fear, life gets better, not worse. I often say to people, we need to raise the right red, not the red flag, the white flag of surrender. Uh, So turn with me again to Genesis, and I want us to see two truths this morning that we're going to just meditate on. The first is that fear can be a powerful competitor To God's vision for our lives. Fear can be a powerful competitor. Uh, It could lead us to places like Gerar, where Abraham was. And then the second thing we're going to see is how fear can distort and blur our vision and our understanding of the circumstances at hand. So rather than see the circumstances as a way that God could grow us and change us and form us, we see them as a threat. So let's look at these. Go back to chapter 20, and what we find what we see in chapter 20 is believe it or not, this is the sixth time Abraham moved in twenty-five years. That's a lot. That's a lot. In Genesis 12, he moves from Mesopotamia to Canaan, to the land, promised land, based on a vision from God. We discover a few years later in that chapter 12. A famine descends on the land, and he flees to Egypt in fear and offers his wife the first time to Pharaoh, but God intervenes again through a dream, brings him back, and what's beautiful about chapters 13, 14, 15 is we see Abraham, a man of vision, a man of worship, a man of prayer, a man restored to the Lord. When we get to chapter 16, we see, again, Abraham and Sarah's wife in fear. uh, Fifteen years had passed. They still had not had a son. Years are ticking away, so they take matters in their own hands, and Sarah gives her maidservant, Hagar, to Abraham, and they indeed have a son, but that son winds up becoming actually an enemy of God's people to this day, the descendants of Ishmael are enemies of God's people. But then we get to chapter 17, 18. We see again uh, his faith restored, renewed. And again, he becomes a prayer warrior, uh, a man of faith, a man of vision. But then we come to our text today, chapter 20, and we discover, discover yet another event in his life where he gives way to fear and moves away from God's vision. So what we see here is a man who rises up down, up, down. Does it sound familiar? Sounds like my life. Genesis 20 verse 2 shows us how fear takes over Abraham's life, and unbelievably he gives away his wife as his sister. Wow. I I don't know. I always struggle with this chapter. Like, what was that all about? And it sidetracks him from God's vision. I'm convinced that Abraham believed somehow that where he was going would be safer or the grass would be greener on the other side. But the funny thing is when Abraham arrives there, he discovers yet another problem. He arrives and he quickly comes to the conclusion that these people are so godless that his life would be in danger, and so he offers his wife, just like he did when he went to Egypt. And that is so often the way it is with us. Now, I've talked to a number of people who believe that the cost of living has become so great in New Jersey, the best thing for them is to move south. Have you had the thought, or have you heard the, That said, it's like a mantra around here. But I've talked to many people who've made that journey, and I'm not saying it's wrong. It might be God's will for you to do that. But if it's just the fear of finances, and that's the only thing that's driving you, there's a problem. And I talk to a lot of people who make it down there, and there's a whole new range of obstacles and problems they haven't even thought about it, one being the culture And loneliness, all of a sudden, all this network of relationships that's taken 40 years to build is not there. And all of a sudden, you have a nice home. You're meeting budget all by yourself, twiddling your thumbs. And it's not so easy to make friends when you're 60, 65 years old, is it? You see, the grass isn't always greener on the other side. The vision that God has for our lives always will be challenged by fears and doubts within. Fear can be faith's greatest competitor, for sure. Recently, I picked up this article that provides some tips on how to avoid uh, danger in the world today. Avoid Avoid (laughs) riding in automobiles because they're responsible for 20% of fatal accidents. Do not stay at home because 17% of all accidents occur in the home. Avoid walking on the streets or sidewalks because 14% of all accidents occur to pedestrians. Avoid traveling by air, rail, or water because 16% of all accidents involve these forms of transportation. Of the remaining 33%, 30%, 2% of all deaths occur in hospitals. Above all else, stay away from hospitals you'll be pleased to learn that 0.001% of all deaths occur in worship services at church. (laughs) And these are related to previous physical disorders. Therefore, logic tells us the safest place for you to be at any given point in time is at church. (laughs) So thank you for being here. So fear is a competitor of God's vision. But there's a second thing in our text I want us to see. Fear distorts our understanding of circumstances. It drives Abraham to Gerar. And interestingly, archaeologists tell us that Gerar was probably one of the most prosperous, busy areas of of that time, busy cities of that time. So perhaps... What drove Abraham there was safety of some sort. But when he arrives there, Abraham concludes it's godless. And uh, as the text proceeds, what he didn't realize, kind of like Jonah the prophet when he went to Nineveh, is that there was fear of God amongst those people. They just needed to hear from God himself. Peter Marshall, who was a Senate chaplain in 1950s, wrote this about the role of circumstances and how they can change us. It is a fact of Christian experience that life is a series of troughs and peaks. In God's effort to get permanent possession of our souls, he relies on the troughs more than the peaks. I don't know. That was very convicting to me. Maybe you're in a trough today. One of the greatest conclusions any of us can come up with in this life is that the troughs of life are there to bless us, to grow us, to develop us. We think in our own wisdom they're obstacles to the good life, but God sees it differently. God sees it as a means of training in our lives that we may discover something about His faithfulness, His love, His abounding grace. Jerry Bridges in his book, Practice of Godliness, put it this way, trials always change our relationship with God. Either they drive us to Him or drive us away from Him. The extent of our fear of Him and our awareness of His love for us determines in which direction we'll move. And so Abram misunderstands the Lord and his will for his life. When Abraham saw the people of Gerar, he believed and this is what's in the text there was no fear of God in them. He concluded he had to manipulate the situation rather than proclaim and trust. You know, I've, uh, I'm amazed. sometimes I was so fearful when I was in India doing missions work at times bringing the gospel up and i there's this um, group of milkmen they're called Yados. it was a particular caste in india and these guys were weightlifters there's these this big big guys you know and they they milk cows and everything and i was just intimidated by them to go and sit with them and shoot. and they lived like maybe a couple hundred yards from me and i'd pass by them on the bike or whatever Finally, I got the courage to sit down with him after about two years, and I opened the Word of God, and they were this one gentleman was so open to things of God, he started to weep about it. And I gave him a Bible. All those fears were keeping me from sharing the Word of God with him, and yet God was desiring. And all I was looking at was with my imagination of my own heart. Look at the text with me. Verse 3, God initiates and goes to Abimelech in verse 3. I love this. God came to Abimelech. If you have your pens, underline that. He does it in a dream by night, and he warns Abimelech. And uh, here we see God's heart and word going out to a godless people, right? When we get to verses 4 and 5, we see Abimelech respond, has he respond, Lord, will you kill an innocent people? He understood in some way that God was just, and he appeals to God's character, and of course, God relents, he relents, look at verses 6 and 7, he promises salvation to Abimelech, in verses 6 and 7, he says to him, this is the Lord speaking, I know you've done this with the integrity of your heart. And I was, and it was I who kept you from sinning. Therefore, do not let, I did not let you touch her now. Return to man's wife. He's a prophet. He'll pray for you and you will live. I love that. And you will live. That's just wonderful. God promises salvation to Abimelech. And then verses 8 through 11, I, I, think this is a great irony in the text abimelech responds in faith and he says this is abimelech responding now i was sore afraid i was sore afraid and the word there uh sore afraid in the king james uh bible has the idea that he was so alarmed by the prospect of god's judgment that there were They were ready to gird themselves quickly to repent and do the things that God would want him to do. What an irony to me uh, that we find in Abraham's response to Abimelech's questioning. When asked why he gave his wife away, Abraham said he thought there was no fear in them. That was his response. In other words, Abraham miscalculated and misunderstood the people of Gerar. God wanted to do a work, and Abraham couldn't believe it. Now, what's interesting about this whole text is we see Abraham go to these people, perhaps out of fear, and how God was weaving a plan of salvation for the people of Gerar, through his mistake. That is really one of the good news of the gospel, isn't it? That he can take our broken lives and somehow use us amongst our family and friends. Uh, I don't know about you, is there a day that doesn't go by that you don't feel worthy? I know for me, personally, you know, the only people who don't have those feelings are, you know, like certifiably insane people. (laughs) They You know, some kind of illusions of grandeur or narcissism or whatever. But the real predicament of all of our lives is we, we see our fears, we see our brokenness, we see our bad decision-making, and, and it's in that place we, we yield to those things. But God, in His goodness, speaks to us, and He wants to invade, and that's the place. He says, I'm going to use your brokenness. I'm not going to use your wholeness. I'm not going to use you when all your ducks are in a row. I'm going to come down mess up your ducks so that you depend on me. I love... Um, chapter 12 of the second letter of corinthians where we see paul the apostle who in the previous chapters testifies that that he had a revelation of god he was brought to the to the third heaven now i don't even know what that means it means he had a special revelation from god to see god himself something special that very few people have opportunity to see and as a result of that vision he was tempted with pride, but God brings brokenness into his life. And there's some kind of a messenger of Satan, a thorn of flesh. Paul doesn't know what it is, where it's coming from, why it's there. So he goes to God three times, and I believe those three times he went to God in prayer were long periods of prayer. It wasn't just like, Lord, take this from me, Lord, take this from me. That's what I believe. And God's answer is an answer to each of us, wherever you're facing today. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. My power is perfected in weakness. I love Paul's response. He says, okay. Therefore, I'll be all the more glad about my weakness that the power of Christ may rest upon me. You see, it's through our brokenness that God wants to do a great work. It's through our weakness and humility that we learn to depend on him, and he becomes all in all, as Scripture says, all in all. He becomes Lord because we learn that only when we put our confidence in him that our lives are in the best, safest place they can be. Do you understand that? You know, there's three people here this morning. Some of you are walking victoriously. Praise God for you. I thank God for you. Some of us may have had a terrible week or a terrible month or a terrible year, and you're still trying to make, trying to sort it out. I just want you to know, be encouraged by the promises of Scripture. If you are in Christ. God going to take care of you and show you something good through that your responsibility is to surrender raise that that white flag that you may trust him but if you're here this morning and you don't know christ as your savior and lord that means you don't have a relationship with him and you need to call upon him and you know what scripture says when we do that call upon the name of the lord jesus because of his death on the cross, He forgives us of our sin and gives us new life. That's what it means to be born again, a new life. And that new life gives us a whole new vision for the future. So rather than walking by fear, we begin to walk by faith. And when we walk by faith, we learn to rise above the circumstances at hand. Let's pray. Father, Thank you for your goodness to us, your love, your tenderness, your patience, Lord. We thank you that you're patient with your servants throughout all of history, Lord. We see how you're patient with men like Abraham. In fact, we read in chapter 12, after going through that whole list of saints. In the Old Testament, the writer in Hebrews 12 says, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off every sin and weight that so easily encumbers and run this race set before us with perseverance, setting our eyes on who? Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Help us towards that end, Lord. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to the previous message. We pray that you were blessed by it. For more information, please visit us at www.ivcnj.org.